Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your series-by-series check-in for Chicago Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're an official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And you can find us at Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Bleed Cubby Blue and subscribe for the most recent content. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. And Andy is winning at life and literally at Disney World today. So, but fear not, listeners, we have a really great episode for you. Uh, later on in the show, to talk all things Cubs, I'm going to be joined by fan of the show, Danny Rocket. But first up, I am joined by a very special guest, Dr. Meredith Wills, who's a contributor to The Athletic. And you may be familiar with some of her work. Uh, she's been looking at baseballs and why there is a home run surge. So I'm super thrilled to have her here today. Meredith, how's it going? That's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time. I imagine you're super busy with your new article coming out at The Athletic this week. It's It's been a whirlwind. Uh, I uh, will freely admit that, you know, my background is not journalism and, you know, it's 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 science and, you know, tech stuff and things like that. And so, or an ast- and astrophysics, obviously. But uh, I, uh, I'm not kind of used to people being really really excited about what I do it's it's, it's fun but it's definitely unusual yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about that and let's just jump right into it so people Mm -hmm. Dr. Wills is literally cutting up baseballs to look at them and see why they are flying so far and to figure out what is going on with these numbers with home runs I know that you are familiar with this but just to give you some context home run records are shattering all over the league. The Cubs, as Andy and I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, shattered their May home run record on like May 16th (laughs) and then set a new one, (laughs) which is just crazy town. And it's not just home runs. It's hit by pitches too. There's something going on with the baseball and people who watch this game and love it have known that for a while now. And the answers that we've been getting from Major League Baseball have been kind of unsatisfactory. So Dr. Wills, can you give us a rundown of the work that you did in 2019 and maybe some background on the work that you did on earlier baseballs as well. Cause I know that you've been working on this project for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does start with, uh, you remember back in 2017 when we were all really, really psyched at like, you know, 6,100 home runs. Yep. Uh, Totally. The last home run. If you told me that this year was going to be like that, I would have been like, no, probably should have gone the other way. But uh, yeah. So, there was a ton of stuff with 2017 MLB even commissioned a a study from like a very, very high level home run committee. Um, You know, a lot of really smart people. And uh, they found out that the, uh, the 2017 home run surge was due almost entirely to some kind of change in the ball in the aerodynamics. There was less drag, hence the ball was traveling further. They didn't know what was different about the ball. And I'd been, like any number of other people been doing my own work looking specifically at the construction because I thought something physically about the ball might be different again before the home run committee surge found out it was the ball so I was you know everyone was off in different directions I just happened to already be in the direction that turned out to be right yay lucky me but um (laughs) well and you you are an astrophysicist right so you're looking at the way the ball is constructed to see what affecting the flight of it when you're talking about drag you're talking about how far the ball can fly 
relative yep. to the way that it's hit and the air resistance it has. And is that, this is my I, layperson understanding. I hope that's yeah, close. Well, the thing that's funny is, in fact, the, the astrophysics part sort of obscures the fact that what I did was, um, I think the way I described it to somebody, it was at least as far as the process of, you know, I took part, I unlaced baseballs using a T-pin. Ultimately, I found uh, lace, the difference was lace thickness. And I found that out by uh, my main tool was a chopstick with ruler tape along it to get something <laughs> called wraps per, it's usually wraps per inch. In this case, I use wraps per centimeter because the laces are so thin. Sure. I mean, obviously the, the 2017 ones turned out to be thicker and then that turned out to have affected the roundness of the ball. The ball was rounder with thicker laces, therefore it traveled further and I was able to find this out. But it was more understanding how you ask questions as a scientist rather than, quote, unquote, being an astrophysicist. I mean, there was nothing with wind tunnels or computer simulations or anything. I just it was like doing a middle school science fair project in a way, (laughs) you know, it was just but knowing how to ask the questions and how to get the information um, and and getting lucky and having the right idea is is kind of where a lot of it went. But but yeah, so it's. I found that and then and when you and when you were point Mm -hmm. oh sorry I didn't mean to interrupt when you were looking at the laces one of the things you found in 2017 I want to be clear because these are two different studies and the baseballs are slightly different which is gonna like both complicate but also deepen this conversation in my opinion (laughs) yeah so in 2017 with the laces that was related to the reason that pitchers were having all of those blister problems right absolutely yes um, okay, so, so 2017, mm-hmm. you you see that the laces are different. That affects the spherical nature of the ball and creates a bit of a home run bounce. And we mm-hmm. can see this in graphs. In fact, when I sh- share the show, I'll make sure that some of your charts are linked in there so that people can see. It, it's really clear in the data, friends. Like, if you uh, read my writing, you know I love charts. These charts are not hard to understand. It's very obvious. Um so tell us a bit about your 2019 findings and what you found there and how that's different from 2017. Yeah, well, well, like I said, I mean, if somebody had told me, I, I, the very fact that you referred to the 2017 home run surge, which was like so mind boggling two years ago. And, and now it, the phrase I think you just used was a bit of a bounce, which <laughs> kind of says it all. But yeah, because yeah, in relative think- terms... <laughs> Oh, What's yeah. happening now is so much crazier. Oh, yeah. Um, but so, you know, and again, by like the first week in the season, uh, it wasn't even just, you know, pitchers knew instantly because the ball got introduced opening day and pitchers knew instantly because, of course, they're throwing all the baseballs. But, you know, by in the fact, end of the first week. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. In fact, for Cubs fans, you may remember that John Lester had a comment earlier that was basically like, just tell us the ball is different. Yep. He, he just wanted to know. It wasn't even, he wasn't mad about it. He was just like, this is not the result of the way that I pitch normally. And I just want to know what's different. Yep. Yeah. And any number of guys said that definitely. But, but yeah, so, so, I mean, by the end of the first week in the season, pretty much uh, Rob Arthur had already published something in baseball prospectus showing, look, actually there's less drag on this ball than last year and he come he compared it to what he thought was gonna be 2017 obviously a huge underestimate but so having already written up the stuff on 2017 uh the same as editors at the athletic came to me and said you know 
can you look at this ball? And wow, you know, new challenge. Great. And so I did a lot of the same stuff. I came up with a bunch of new measurements and part of the reason for that actually was specifically because of things that John Lester said, some of, uh, you know, I had some, some stuff from, uh, from Sean Doolittle. Uh, there was, I'm trying to think of other, but Noah Syndergaard had a great quote out there way early. Um, so I kind of already had a feel based on what pitchers were saying of the kinds of things that might be different, you know, and that's, so, that's one thing that's been overlooked, I think, is that listen to the players when they say the ball is changed. Do they know? Right. <laughs> totally. And Syndergaard's mm-hmm. comment was that the ball felt like ice. Was that right? the comment? Do I have that Yeah, right? that's the one. That's the one I'm thinking of. And, and particularly said it was like holding an ice cube uh, and the implication almost like a wet ice cube. You know, I remember reading that it. comment. Yeah, yeah I mm-hmm. remember reading that comment and thinking, Oh, wow. It was right after I had seen some research that had been done either by Baseball Prospectus or The Athletic. And I apologize, I'm not going to be able to attribute it to the right person, but it was great. Yeah. Uh, it was the person who had who had looked at hit by pitches. And oh, okay, they no, had, that was The Athletic. That was The Athletic. Yeah. And they were looking at, um, you know, it's not just home runs that are through the roof. Hit by pitches are through the roof. And it's mm-hmm. partial. it might be because something with the ball is making it harder for people to control their pitches. It's not like pitchers got super more retaliatory or something Yeah. in 2019, all of a sudden. Um, and I thought of that when I saw the Cindergard ice quote, or I connected the two. I don't remember which order they actually occurred in, but I remember right. thinking, well, if you're throwing an ice cube, it's probably pretty hard to control that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what types, you said you, you heard those quotes and it, pinged for you that certain you should look at certain things what types of certain things yeah the the things that, that came up were obviously if it's if it feels like an ice cube the idea of the leather being smoother made sense and then there were also a couple guys who talked about the seams feeling uh i think sean doolittle said that the seams felt lower but wider hmm. um and so the idea of then looking at seam height and and some of these were sort of uh the things that i ended up looking at were um Let's see, size, seam height, um, leather smoothness, roundness, and all of those things uh, are important because they end up affecting the aerodynamics. They'll, they'll literally, if you change one of those, it affects the drag. Um, so like before I found that the ball became rounder, which was why it traveled further in 2017. Um, so again, those are the four obvious things to look at. I know that Manfred brought up the idea of the pillar, the core being more centered. Uh, we won't go into a ton of detail. Read my article mostly because it's a little in depth. Sorry, or or ask, <laughs> ask Sarah later. But um, the uh, I think that that's let's put it this way: according to the physics, yes, that's completely a reasonable um, way to change how the ball travels through the air. However it's really, really hard to make an off-center pill to begin with. Um, just the nature of the equipment for making the baseballs, because they wind yarn around the core in a way that it's really hard to make, not just it off-center, but make every single ball slightly off-center, such that right. you could then get new equipment to make it more centered. So I think it's manufacturing-wise probably was a non-problem to begin with. And the commissioner, when he brought it up, just sort of, it was the first on a list and it got the most detail, but I don't think it had the highest priority. Um, and so I think there's been a little mix up with that because of the way it was reported. Um, however, the other four things I absolutely looked at 
And then on top of that, I did go back and look at lace thickness since it was uh, what was, you know, seemed to be the cause of the previous home run surge and that round, greater roundness of the ball. And what I found was, uh, you know, consistent with what pitchers were already talking about. Yeah, the leather is absolutely smoother and the seams are lower. And that's actually, that one is probably the most surprising because, you know, I had balls going back as far as like 2000. Um, for sure, I knew dates through 2014. And then I had a sample that was you know, somewhere 2000 through 2014. So those balls aren't as strongly dated other than I know they're in that range. But um, the seam heights on those are all, I shouldn't say the same, but you can't differentiate them. You know, that's part of it is there's a lot of variation and they're all within that same level of variation. The seams on the 2019 balls are half as high. Not oh, just wow. half as high. Okay. Um, and so which is for crazy. people who played the game or people mm -hmm. who have been around the game, you know that the way that you throw a pitch depends on that seam. Oh, and yeah. so if you all of a sudden change the way the seam sets up in relation to the ball, that fundamentally changes the way that you can throw any number of pitches, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, 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 it affects grip, uh, both, you know, like the lavish movement does as well, but certainly it affects the, the grip at the seams. But the other thing is that it ends up affecting break because there's just the seams can't grab the air as well. And so it doesn't matter, even if you're spinning the ball at the same rate, it's not going to move as much. So, yeah, wow. the idea that their control is down or that people aren't, I mean, start, earlier in the season, it made more sense because that was back before people had started figuring out how to compensate. So, like, at the time, it wasn't just that hit by pitches were up, wild pitches were up. And that one, I think, is even more telling because no one throws, people, pitchers will occasionally hit guys on purpose. We right. know this. Nobody throws a wild pitch on purpose, you know, and if those right. are up, that says control is a problem. Right. Absolutely. It means that they are not able to make the ball do what they think it is going to do. Right. And that it's so off that the catcher can't even compensate. Wow. Oh, um, yeah. So we, so this is, this is really interesting. So I just want to flag a couple of things. You said you looked at four different things. The mm -hmm. seams we've talked about in detail that they were like half as high. Mm -hmm. What other things did you find? The other thing that I found was that, um, and I guess I'll do this in a slightly different order than others, is that remember how I said the lace thickness before thicker laces were leading to a rounder ball. Yep. However, they also seem to be related to pitchers getting more blisters. What I found in this ball was that the laces had gone back to what they were before in terms of thickness. So this is like before the original change. Yep. the previous ball we'll, we'll call that you know that's a that's a that's that's i don't know 20 it's basically end of 2015 through 2018 had the thicker laces and that was where the blister problems were coming in the 2019 ball is back to as thin as they were up through mid 2015 so the blisters basically anything that had laces causing pitcher blisters like the pitchers who were suffering from that You'll notice that in general, and I, I feel so bad for Aaron Sanchez. His name keeps coming up as he's the exception, but, um, oh. it, well, I don't know. Poor guy. But the, uh, 
God, that sounds like I'm really putting him off. No, genuinely, I feel bad. I really feel bad. He's getting, but, uh, we'll look at it as free publicity. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Aaron, I love you. And I, I you know, you shouldn't have to deal with all this. But uh, the, in general, those are down now because they've made the laces thin again. So lace thickness is not a problem for pitchers. On the other hand, when I looked at how round the balls were, the balls are somehow even rounder than they were for up to, through the end of 2018. And, oh, and that ball was all, yeah. So, so it, it seems completely contradictory to what we found before and to the understanding of how the process for manufacturing the balls has worked. Because the whole point uh, or the whole reason behind why you are getting a difference in the roundness of the ball had to do with essentially with the laces, uh, the laces being cotton. Yep. And if you air dried them, the laces would, they'd stretch anyway, because you know, you're, you're, they're cotton, they're under tension, wet cotton stretches. Um, but if you air dry it, it stays stretched. Uh, the way that you prevent that is you throw your wet t-shirt in the dryer and it then goes back to the shape that it was before. Um, totally. So somehow the process was improved such that they were able to have thinner laces and yet make the ball even rounder, which basically means that stretching wasn't happening anymore. Uh, so that's somehow a process that's been improved by Rawlings that you are now seeing, you know, they, they've prevented that stretching, which means the ball has stayed rounder, but it also, I think maybe why those seams are lower is because since those laces aren't stretching out, essentially the seams are being kind of held down. Um, so it, what, I, what I think may be going on is that they're basically now drying the balls under hot air. Which oh, okay. is, would give you the effect of a dryer. And so as a side effect, you end up with being able to keep the thinner laces, you know, so this whole seam related pitcher blister thing doesn't happen. Um, the ball is rounder in a way that I guess they've always wanted it to be rounder. And um, as a side effect to that, the seams end up being lower because they can't get any higher because the laces are shrink, you know, shrinking back, not stretching, call it what you will. So it looks like there may have been just a you know, quality control or process improvements going on, um, which actually one thing to remember is that right around when the Home Run Committee report came out, and this was the end of May, Beginning of June last year, MLB announced that they bought Rawlings, uh, presumably right. because of the results the Home Run Committee found. And there was a lot of dissatisfaction in terms of how much the ball did vary. Uh, and so they wanted a ball that was sort of had tighter specifications, more uniform. So presumably things were more predictable. Uh, and so what it looks like is Rawlings did just that. Uh, they took those kind of results into account you know they also took into account other stuff that was out there about the laces so you know look here we're going to make sure uh those that bliss, particular blister problem isn't happening anymore and uh you know i i i'm guessing it might be the work that i did uh finding out that it was this this lace stretching that was somehow causing the difference in the roundness and so oh look they've got information on something that can be improved. And so look, here let's, and they've improved the drying process before. They're on the record saying they've improved the drying process before. 
So this is like a brand new idea. Yeah. So that's something I want to talk about. We're going to take a really quick break for our sponsors, but at the, on on the flip side, I do want to talk about that because it's not like the changes at the margins of the baseball are new. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. And we're back. So we were just talking about the, how MLB has, uh, tried to increase the amount of quality control on the baseball. And it looks like the unintended consequence of that is a more consistent baseball that is more consistently flying out of ballparks at a rate never seen since the beginning of this great sport that we all love. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think it's really interesting that the, you know, it's not like they never change the baseball, right? Like there have been changes at the margins of the baseball Throughout our lifetimes, we just haven't noticed them as, as much. Is that correct, Meredith? Yeah, basically. And and I mean, it's something that, that even to the point of when I went back through these balls, that like there was one ball I had for sure I could date to 2003 that was in this population that all should have had thinner laces. 2003 actually had some of the thicker laces that I saw. And so what it looks like is in that case, it's probably just dependent on the batch that they're getting and the supplier. Because don't forget, they don't, it's not like they spin their own, you know, cotton laces. They buy them from somebody. Right. Uh, and so depending on how they're made and who they're buying them from, because these variations are tiny. I mean, they're a fraction of a millimeter. Uh, so it's a, it, it's not something that visually you're going to be like, oh, my God, they're so much thicker. Your, your eyes aren't going to pick it up. But um, in this case, they've, they've done improvements. I mean, and, you know, I'm calling them improvements. Uh, there's, I guess there's a question of semantics in there to some extent uh, in terms of what's a meaningful change, I guess. Um, but yeah, they're process improvements and it's something Rawlings absolutely does in, and says that they do. And in this case, the process improvements just happen to be something that creates a more aerodynamic ball. Uh, you could argue that, that a better baseball, as it were, you know, I mean, is a rounder ball by definition a better ball? Uh, and that's, that's an important thing to think about. Uh, so another thing is Rawlings goals as part of their, I mean, and they, they actually have this as part of their process is one of the final things is they literally have a process where the attempt is to flatten the seams. I don't know how flat they want them. They've clearly figured out how to make them much flatter. But the question is, is there a limit where they should be flattened to? Uh, I can't answer those questions. But we've gotten to a point where I think there may be, those may be questions that need to be addressed. Because if you get too good at improving the ball, uh, it's now obvious that that's affecting the game. And, and not necessarily in a way that's beneficial all around. Right. I mean, one of the things that's important to note here, and this is anecdotal, which I feel I feel kind of terrible bringing anecdotes into such a high level scientific conversation. But, you know, not everyone is happy about the surge in home runs. Pitchers certainly aren't happy. I mean, I talked to my brother and father, both huge baseball fans. It's sort of how I got into the game. And both of them are kind of horrified by it. They I, think I, it- I will freely admit that I have never been a huge home run fan. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, I'll, I tend to bastardize this quote a bit, but there's a Bull Durham quote. It actually refers to strikeouts, but it, it applies equally well to home runs, which is home runs are boring. Besides that, they're fascist, throw more ground or uh, throw more ground <laughs> balls. It's more democratic. 
That's um, outstanding. But I mean, it's true. Like if you're hitting a home run, it's the pitcher and the hitter and everyone else can go home. Uh, well, and when, and, and when the game yeah. is a home run focused game, we also see things like strikeouts go up yep. because if you have a much greater chance of getting that ball into the air, if you just shift your swing a little bit, et cetera, uh, you start swinging for that home run as opposed to trying to make contact station to station, baseball doubles, the, all the stuff walk. that I personally yeah. love. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so I, it, you know, that is another thing it, it, it could theoretically change how people approach the game. You know, the Cubs currently have a kiddo in there, a kiddo. He's not a kiddo. He's 22. I used to teach. So I occasionally uh-huh. do the whole kiddo thing I, and I, I can't, I will, I will can't get over it. I've, I've taught, well, having taught college and, and realizing that, you know, co- I have colleagues who are, you know, comparable in age to people who I taught. And so sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, no, this is a colleague. This is, this is not a, <laughs> you know, this is not a kid. Um, and Absolutely. I, it's, it's, and it's, it's always, it's, I agree. It's kind of throw away. <laughs> don't think about it till afterwards. Totally. I'm like, oh, I just did that thing. The Cubs have a prospect in their system who currently Mm -hmm. has 21 home runs at AAA who has never hit the ball like that in his entire minor league career. And as as thrilled as I am for this young man who's having an outstanding uh, trip to AAA, Robel Garcia never, ever looked like a home run hitter. That's not how he profiled that's mm-hmm. not how he's developed, but they're using the same major league ball at AAA now. And the numbers are all skawampus down there too. It's very hard to tell, um, you know, how much of this is the player changing part of their game or their approach and how much of this is they are playing with a different baseball now. And so for some players, their stats are just all out of whack. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, the, the uh, minor league active leader in home runs, uh, Cody Decker, is a friend of mine and I uh you know I've brought up on more than one occasion you know his his I don't know how fast it's going to be assuming that it stays like this his record's going to come crashing down uh on the other hand that does not speak to his quality as a power hitter or unfortunately to the quality of whoever surpasses him because they're so not comparable that it's you just the record is the record, but to say that one player is better than another when the ball is so different, uh, I think speaks, you know, it, it just, it's not representative of either of them. And it's just, it's not fair, but it is what it is. Right. Know, I certainly well, you don't know. think that you should, you should have less value for either because it doesn't, but it's possible to, and I don't like that. Does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. And, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people who love this sport love is that you can compare players from different ages and sort of get an idea of how would a Cody Bellinger have looked vis-a-vis uh, Mickey Mantle or something like that. And I think things like this make that very hard to do. I mean, the last time something systemic clearly was happening that was affecting power in the game in a way that people could see clearly in the data with their own eyes was the steroid uh, era, and you see a similar spike in the numbers here with no steroid use, at least that we know of. It's just the ball is fundamentally different, and in ways that are arguably like they perfected, quote unquote, the ball. They made it better, but by making it better, they've changed a me- part of the mechanics of the game in a way that 
it's going to be, I, I don't know what the solution is to go back to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually, that's, that's critical is that there is no, there's no obvious response, let alone solution. I mean, there's no really obvious response. It, it's, it's, it's a discussion topic. It's something that needs to be brought to the table. And, um, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of ways you can approach it. The game has changed. Uh, before, you know, we have the dead ball to live ball era, for example. Right. Uh, we may literally be seeing the first year of what might constitute a, you know, basically permanent change to the game because I'm not sure. If you, do you go to Rawlings and say, yeah, we want you to make the ball worse again? Uh, I don't really, no, I'm serious. I mean, it's not, right. it's not, when you put it that way, it feels like a weird thing to ask for. Um, and then when you make it worse, how do you make it systematically worse? Because clearly the idea of tighter specifications, better quality control is in there. That's a goal. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's the reason we had dead ball, the live ball was the ball changed. The ball has changed again. And the people will talk about changing it back, but I'm not, I think, I think, you know, pitchers would like that. I doubt hitters would. Um, right. You know, they're all of their numbers look great. They're, they're having a blast. Uh, no pun intended, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's okay for the game to change. It's just a question of understanding the context. And if we're in a position to, decide something about it and how we then choose to think about it um we should but well, it's it's not you know a snapchat let's put it this way a hot take is not a good idea well and i think you just hit on an element there that i think we really should talk about you know i've talked about this offline before it's the decision point and being transparent about changes that i really think is the is the part that's missing from this equation with mlb in particular they they made some changes that clearly could have been articulated earlier, or they could have looked at what the potential consequences are more deliberately mm -hmm. without articulating that to fans or to players or to the league. And we all just kind of like started this season with what is going on with the baseball. Mm -hmm. <laughs> clearly something is off. And I feel like there's a transparency issue here in terms of if you're going to make changes, that's fine, but the changes have to be well communicated and they have mm -hmm. to be, deliberate and they have to be understood and there still may be unintended consequences, but it just seems like there was a missing element of transparency here. Mm -hmm. Like when I read your research and it so definitively lays out some differences and how those might've happened and what that looks like. And I'm reading the coverage of what MLB is saying. And they're like, it's the pill. That's hard. <laughs> that disconnect is really hard for me as a fan to swallow. Right. I feel like I'm not getting the full story. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I, I will, I will agree that there's a, this sounds like a loaded term, but I can't think of a better way to put it. Almost like there's a messaging issue on MLB's part. Um, like, for instance, the very fact that the pill was the first thing to come up. I don't, I really don't think that Manfred meant that to be the thing that everybody latched onto, you know, with this bear trap kind of grip. Uh, you know, I feel like it's just, guys, he, he didn't beat it as strongly as you think he did. He listed a whole bunch of stuff afterwards, which nobody's paying attention to. Interesting. But, um, yeah, so so it's just, it's because it, it's, it's it becomes, let's put it this way, it's an easy soundbite. And 
that's again back to the hot takes it's easy for people to do that but um as far as the transparency thing in a way this may be the tipping point because uh you know in the past rawlings has absolutely done process improvements in this case they had some direction uh outside for that doesn't mean they didn't always have some level of internal direction but there's the the home run committee results uh to a certain extent probably my results uh, gave them information that they may not have had before that they were then able to at least take into account for making, you know, quality control decisions, process improvement decisions. And even though the changes, I mean, think about it. If all they did was add, add hot airflow to the drying process and, you know, even had they not changed the leather smoothness, literally just adding a blow dryer to the final process of the manufacturing would have caused this. So turning on a blow dryer would have done it. Uh, wow. That doesn't sound like, I mean, and, and if you just say that off the top of your head, it doesn't sound like it's a big change because it's actually not. However, the results have been very dramatic. And so what that probably says is, yeah, at least letting people know. And then to a certain extent, um, you're right about the understanding what the consequences could be both ahead of time. And then there's, you know, the Home Run Committee called for internal testing uh, and independent. Uh, and even like right at the beginning of the season or before the season, uh, there was a report in the New York Post that said, yeah, MLB officials knew the drag was lower from internal testing. Uh, so they knew ahead of time. And I don't know, again, if it was thought out entirely, but the idea of at least maybe player involvement in the process, you know, so so they know what's going on. So that, 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 that seems not unreasonable to me. Not that they even need a say, just that they need the knowledge. Right. I think that's a, that's the key, giving players the knowledge and mm-hmm. letting them so that they're not ha- coming into a new season with new equipment, sort of wondering how it's going to affect their game. Right. Uh, this was outstanding. Dr. Wills, I know that you're currently really busy with a ton of people interviewing you for your work. I appreciate you making the time to stop in and talk to Cubs fans. We really appreciate it. And ho- I hope if uh, the baseball changes substantially in the future and you're doing some more work on that, you'll come back and say hi to us. Yeah, well, if the baseball changes again, I, I have a feeling that the that the press and social media and everybody else will come banging my door down saying, so can you figure out this one, please? Right. So, yeah. it's, it's happening again. We need, a, we need exactly. an astrophysicist. Yeah, baseball needs astrophysicists. What can I say? Absolutely. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Wills. You can find Dr. Wills on Twitter, right? What is your handle? Oh boy, um, it's a uh, it's a contraction of uh, baseball astrophysics, and then so it's BBL underscore, and uh, it's basically the word astrophysics without the I. So A S T R O P H Y S E S. That was back when character limits were worse. Sorry, right? But yeah, uh, totally. I have this, yeah, I have so- the same problem. You can also just probably search for me under my name and whatever looks like that will come up you know there there's not a lot of uh, a lot of baseball astrophysics people running around so <laughs> well she's she does a lot of great work on uh looking at the science of the game and is a great person to follow you can also read her 
very in-depth and thorough work on the 2019 baseball in the athletic. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Wilson. On the flip side, we will have Danny Rocket from Outside the Ivy and the Sun Ranto Show. And we're back to talk all things Cubs today. I am joined by friend of the show, Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? going well i'm uh i'm uh sitting here on a friday before fourth of july uh waiting for the cubs game just like every day yeah i am waiting for the cubs game i'm really excited about that i'm excited that the u.s women's national team plays later today like kind of nervous about this whole matchup with france which is like supposed to be a big deal um it's going to be a great sports afternoon yeah i'm 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 actually excited for an afternoon nap (laughs) you know (laughs) Well, the women play. They can win without me, but uh, I'll, I'll hear about what they did later. But uh, not a not a big soccer fan, but I wish them well. Yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty incredible. But I am. Uh, but I know we are both big baseball fans, so let's just jump into some of this baseball stuff. The Cubs, man. Since Ben Zobrist left on his extended leave thing, whatever he's doing to find himself, uh, the Cubs are basically a five hundred team, and they were a five hundred team during this road trip, and. I I don't know, man. They're a 500 team. What is going on? Yeah, that was pretty disappointing with the kind of 500 homestand that we saw there. Um, it, you know, I understand the Braves. Braves are a tough team. Uh, they're pr- probably a playoff team. They certainly look like it. And uh, y- But when you split with the Mets, that's kind of disappointing. Splitting with the White Sox is understandable in a way because it's the White Sox and they're playing for it. But, you know, to the whole narrative was that the Cubs weren't doing well on the road, but they're going to be awesome at home. And that's not what we saw this. So we saw a very average homestand and it ended well. So I've got a good kind of taste in my mouth about it, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't uh, treading water, I believe is the best way to put it. Right. Yeah. Treading water seems about right. I mean, this team kind of desperately needs the all-star break. We'll talk all-stars a bit too. Let's start with some good news. Game one, the Cubs won. Uh, but the thing that sort of overshadowed everything in this game was this scuffle with <laughs> Wilson Contreras and Tyler Flowers. And like, I'm just going to be real clear in case people have not figured it out, you know, 16 episodes into this podcast. Team Wilson for life. I would probably die for Wilson Contreras. But like, actually, th- this was a bad look for the Braves on any number of levels. Like Tyler Flowers <laughs> was clearly injecting himself into a discussion that Wilson was having with the ump about the strike zone and then didn't like it when Wilson hit an oppo bomb and turned around and said, see you later. (laughs) Got to go around the bases now. What is up with this Braves team? This is not the first fight that they've caused this year. They've had problems with other teams too. Their broadcast team is sort of terrible on this whole play the right way nonsense. I just, this this whole like Braves mojo is bothering me. Well, I don't want to like totally stereotype Braves fans because I don't know a lot of them, but like any fan base that's going to stand up there doing the tomahawk chop when everybody's already had a problem with it and they know better, uh, you know, they they probably respond quite well to a guy like Jeff Francoeur basically saying he should have physically attacked Wilson Contreras years ago. And, and that right there is like, you know, that's just straight violence. That's actually illegal. It's a threat of assault, you know, and, uh, you know, the baseball kerfuffle is, you know, those fights are usually much ado about nothing, a bunch of standing around and, and, uh, 
you know, not real punches being thrown, but you know, I get it. People's emotions are run high, running high. These guys are young. Um, you know, Wilson, you know, probably exacerbated the, uh, <laughs> the, the problem. Obviously we're all on team Wilson. We're like, yeah, get him. But that just kind of feeds into the aggression and stuff. And, uh, you know, the fight is one thing, but then, you know, you get this adrenaline rush from the fight game and then you're anemic for two days offensively. Right. And it's almost like, uh, okay, well, we, we got all our testosterone wasted on, uh, you know, something stupid like uh, Tyler Flowers talking trash all night on Instagram all too. All night on Instagram. I'm so what a glad loser. you brought that up. If, a- if y'all did not see this, we will retweet it from the at Cup of Cubby Blue account. Tyler Flowers like stayed up all night on the MLB post of Wilson's home run talking trash and replying to comments on Instagram and like, buddy, I, I really, I think you need to take a break. <laughs> right. I mean, let it go. I mean, Tyler flowers is a veteran too. Like he's the dude is 33 years old. It's like, yeah. get it together, bro. Wilson um, Contreras went home and had, you know, took a nap and was like, all right, I'm good. I hit another bomb. And Tyler flowers was up all night, like in front of his. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean that, you know, the Cubs won that first game eight to three. I mean, that was the first run, you know, was that, that that was a solo shot from Wilson. Right. And yeah. uh, you know, it really kind of, you know, set the Cubs on fire for that moment. You know, they had that huge fifth inning, which was so nice to see the the five run fifth, you know, five straight hits. Uh, was it, that was the fifth, like, right? The scoring, the scoring on multiple hits in a row. Yeah. And it Two wasn't just runs. Yeah. And that was the beautiful thing because that's the thing we don't necessarily see from this team a lot. You know, you know, the complaint was for a while. It's like, Oh yeah, we're hitting dingers, but you know, it's like they're all solo shots it seems and uh you know so that's frustrating oh i hit five like in houston they hit five home runs and lose you know you're like that's hard to do it is so frustrating this team and their streaks with men left on base and runners in scoring position which is just like it is it is by far the most frustrating thing to watch with this team i and and part of me thinks that some of the more veteran guys get brought in to try to be that guy. I think Zobrist has been that guy to like sort of get the team going at times. Descalso and Cargo, though, man, have not been that guy uh, <laughs> and in any way, shape, or form. I mean, both are just offensively not – I I don't even know. I, I'd rather have a pitcher in that spot. There have been well, multiple times where I've been like, Tyler Chatwood is a better hitter than either one of these per- people. Well, I know it's a small sample size, but I was looking it up. And when you, you know, go go down people's OPSs for the week, you know, Daniel Descalso and uh, it has, I mean, Albert Almora has as many hits as you, Darvish. Let's just put it that oh way. God. Oh, my you know, God. Cole Hamels and uh, Daniel Descalso have the same amount of hits as each other. David Bodie has one hit in 19 tries. Like, it, it, so he, he can be mentioned here too. Cargo, too, just one hit. Uh, you know, that's, it's really frustrating when, you know, the bottom of your lineup, you know, the top, the bottom three or four uh, guys, um, you know, the pitcher is, is just as good of a, uh, you got a just as good of a chance of a base hit or moving a runner along with. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, more than a third, it's more than a third of the lineup on any given day. Cannot buy a hit. Yeah. Like, and they're praying that they walk. I'm like, please don't swing. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. And you know, it, and 
the Descalso, I mean, the my only hope about somebody like Daniel Descalso is that, you know, he's not this bad in his career. Now, either something happened to him and he's just, you know, this is the end for him, or, you know, he's going to progress to the mean and he's going to have a monster second half. That's my only thought of hope, but that, you know, it's something's got to give. But yeah. it's not even a Babip thing because he's, you know, he looks, he looks like I don't know, it, like Jason Hayward circa 2016 when he couldn't buy a hit and wasn't hitting the ball hard, right. you know. But even worse than that, it's like Jay Hay 2016 light without the speeches. <laughs> Maybe he's got well, a speech in him. I don't know. Maybe he's a, a an incredible orator, and we'll find out in the World Series. It only took Jay Hay three years to turn it around, but he does appear to have turned it around. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk a little bit about game two and three. Danny, I'm going to really have to rely on you here a little bit because and I, I just have to, like, seg- like aside here, blackout rules are really dumb. Oh, so I, I had a work trip to Montgomery, Alabama, which is like it. the flight between Atlanta and Montgomery is so short. They don't even serve, like, water or coffee or anything because by the time the – flight attendants would get up to like walk down the plane there we would be landing so it's like that type of flight Uh, I could not watch these Braves games I was blacked out in Montgomery Alabama there the hotel I was staying at did not have the Fox Sports Southeast or whatever channel that carries the Braves the like two different hotel bars that I went to just walking around trying to see if anybody had the Fox back like sports package or whatever did not they're all watching the College World Series. What are you even doing, Major League Baseball? Like, what are you doing? You do not have Braves fans in Montgomery, Alabama. That's your backyard. This It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. So I missed, um, I missed two games that the Cubs lost, but I was oh, really good. bummed to miss Alzel Day, which is my name for the day whenever Adbert Alzel A starts. And he see it seems like he was pretty good again. So tell me, Danny, what did I miss besides Alzel Day? Well, you missed that everybody's calling him Alzelai now. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> because I mean, every you know, every single person has I mean, I must have heard it 50 different times. I mean, when Ron Coomer was saying it on the radio the other day, you know, it was Alberts, Alzodi, and Alzado. <laughs> I mean, he was all over the place, you know. Um <laughs> I believe he called him adverb at one point. Like, I don't even know what's going on. So it's okay, you adverb know, is pretty good. Ad, we, adverb, adverb, adverb might be the name. <laughs> yeah. Adverb um, Alzali is what everybody's going with. Um, so uh, yeah, he did very well. And except for the first pitch of the game when he, you know, it, I mean, here's the guy in his first start, you know, he wants to put, throw a strike for his first pitch and his first start, you know, well, guess who else knew that? <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know Acuna who uh you know deposited it deposited the ball in the bleachers on the first pitch and uh you know so but besides that it you know he was really awesome I mean he, he unfortunately the Cubs couldn't score for him or get him the uh the you know meaningless W you know in his in his win column but you know uh gives up the only the one run he did walk four you know, so, you know, you'd like to see that change uh, a little bit um, struck out for, you know, he was good. It, you know, what can you say if he's 
the they're calling him the sixth starter, but after what we saw from Tyler Chatwood, I you know, I think Andrew maybe Jarvis, we, Jose Quintana. Yeah. Sorry, like the bottom of the rotation has not been great lately. Yeah, so basically Alzalai is now our number three. <laughs> it's looking <laughs> like and we just got you know, back end of fives right now. Hopefully, you know, that evens out a little bit. I don't think Q is quite as bad as we saw him. Chatwood can't start. He's obviously a but more suited to the pen at least right now and uh you know i don't know why they're going with the sixth man rotation except to maybe give the old guys a little bit more rest which i think helps us down the line but hey man we got to win games now because you know nobody's running away with the central and it's uh, you know you know kind of unfortunate you lose these two games they're close games uh the three to two and five to three you know both games you're in them you could have won them, um, you know, uh, actually maybe Wednesday's game, the five to three, the Darvish start felt like you were just kind of like playing from behind. Well, cause you were the entire <laughs> time. And, and uh, you know, this couldn't, couldn't really get that big hit. Could it get anything going? Um, you know, but I don't know. It's like Alzali. I think everybody's very excited. I'd love to see him back out there again um, uh, in a starting role. And I, there's not really word whether that's going to happen yet. I don't believe. No, that's that would be a bummer. I would hope that he would get that chance, particularly with Hendricks still on the IL, and I am hearing that he's going to be on the IL till probably after the All Star break. I would think that that fifth rotation spot should be his. Um, yeah, and I don't know if they should go with the sixth anymore, but they probably just will, just because they said they were gonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Know? Joe, Joe, you know, you, you do the unconventional thing sometimes. Do do the unconventional thing here and just go back on that whole six-man rotation thing. So I don't have to watch Tyler Chatwood start again. I, I would actually be real interested in seeing, you know, sort of the reverse of what they did with Alzali's debut, which is, you know, have uh, Adbert start the game and then Chatwood finish the game. That would be a real interesting mix up there but you gotta you gotta like a kid who comes in he's only given up two major league hits across what is basic almost a complete game now they were unfortunately both solo home runs but what are you gonna do um and he's you know striking out a guy in inning which that's pretty outstanding as far as i can tell yeah and he throws hard he's got that he works fast he's he seems to be in control his confidence is is uh pretty impressive for a guy I don't know what's going on, you know, with the butterflies in his stomach, you know, he probably is freaking out, but it, he he looks composed and, you know, that's something that uh, I, you know, that, that you can't really put your finger on about what that does, having that kind of composure and confidence, but he seems to have it. So I'm, I think he feels like he belongs here and uh, I, you know, that might be kind of half the battle is just believing in yourself and having that confidence to go out there and make your pitches against, you know, stars you know here's a guy he never you know played against you know well maybe did in the past like you know albies and acuna and he's out there and you know he's you know just you gotta he's focusing and he's making his pitches he kind of lost it a little bit towards the end of this start you know got a little wild you know couldn't really find the strike zone that's when joe went and got him and uh you know, and then Monty, see, here's my only problem with the way like this is all working because, you know, basically, and this was happening with Darvish for a while, it maybe still is happening with Darvish in a way. 
is that when Alzali or Darvish pitches, you always have to have a Chatwood or a Monty to eat innings after that. So it just kind of makes your bullpen a little shorter. Now with the addition of Craig Kimbrell, we just lengthened it in a completely different way. So maybe just how those chips are falling, that's okay. But you lose, you know, you lose Monty at, with a with a Alzali or a Chatwood start. You lose you lose your long man, I guess, because you always have to have him on deck and you have to be thinking ahead of the time not to use him the day before, two days before, and you're not going to have him the day after. So that just kind of changes the whole dynamic of how the bullpen's used. I'm sure they're on it, but it's just like, okay, one guy, if, if you can't give me more than, you know, if they're not expecting more than six innings out of a guy, you know, right? then you got to have, when I mean, you're eating innings at the back end, have more than half the game. Well, so. speaking of not expecting more than six innings out of a guy, uh, you Darvish, um, yeah. who admittedly has had a couple of starts go more than six innings this year, but uh, the no, de- no decision streak is over. He lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, C- congratulations, you. Congratulations <laughs> on ending your no decision streak. Uh, the still no wins at Wrigley Field. What I I've never seen a player so unable to pitch with a lead. <laughs> yeah, like, really. It's it, well, this time he didn't have the lead. He gave up five runs before the Cubs True. even scored one. But True so, so that that was a little <laughs> different was, for him. Also new. <laughs> but just, I mean, he's it looked like things were on the, you know, kind of working well. I mean, you know, it's he had a couple starts where he only gave up one run and just a couple hits. He went further into the game. And then these last two starts against the Mets in Atlanta, it, you know, let's see 11 innings nine runs uh yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, i really thought yeah. things were turning around in la i was like he conquered the dodgers it was great no i was wrong yeah and and so it we just haven't seen you know what except for that dodger start where he gives up the one run strikes out 10 you know except for that start you know nothing's been great you know and even I don't know. He's he's not the guy that they signed or thought they were signing. It, it's right now. It really feels like a a big mistake. You yeah. know, it, it and just hopefully it, that will change. We've got a few years to figure that out. But huh. I I agree. It feels like a it feels like a pretty big mistake right now. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about happier things. Yeah. Game please. four. Okay. So game four. Here's here's my experience of game four. I'm sitting on the airplane. Uh, about to fly out of Montgomery and the Cubs are losing like, I don't even know, six to one or something ridiculous. And I'm kind of like, great, this is outstanding. I'm, I'm glad to be leaving blackout territory where the Cubs literally never do anything right. Uh, and I was just kind of like praying for some Cubs runs by the time I landed, landed just in time to hear the comeback happen. Oh, beautiful. And this was a fun game. Like this was this was fun. I think when I landed in Atlanta, it was six to three, and by the time I'm like walking around the terminal, my flight was delayed. Um, listening to the comeback and <laughs> kind yeah. of annoyed that I couldn't find the game in the Atlanta airport. What is that even, Hartsfield Jackson? But I digress. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really yeah, this was awesome. I really picked the wrong game to go to because I you know I got I had a friend in town, John Ferlice, who you might know from Cubs Insider. Uh, he, well, he's in town and, or it was, he just left, but I'm like, Oh, I'll either see you on the third game of the series on Wednesday or the fourth game. And I just decided like, Oh, I'll just go Wednesday nights. It's a nice night, you know, Cubs lose. 
there's you know chris bryan is getting freaked out by lightning we're all I like evacuated that was, that was we, wild yeah we got evacuated from the bleachers cubs lose can't do anything you know hitting solo shots again you know failing with runners in scoring position that's the game i picked to go to the next day i'm like well, now I got to do the work that I didn't do last night because I put it off and I'm not going to the game. And at this game, Cookie Monster singing the stretch, you know, the, they come back big, you know, Kimbrel pitched. You're like, boy, did I time this one wrong. You know? okay. but what an exciting Co- game, though. We are going to talk about all of those things. This Cookie Monster thing is incredible. And I just want to be super transparent. When I first heard about this, somebody asked, like, on Twitter, one of the many Cubs Twitter people who I should give credit to on this, and I don't remember who it was, um, was like, is this, are you like happy or horrified? And I was kind of initially horrified just because so many guest conductors for the stretch have same, gone terribly wrong. Same. Now so I want them to do it terribly oh. wrong. And I was wrong. I was very wrong. This is the worst take I've ever had. <laughs> Cookie I Monster was so good. I was right there with you. As soon as Cookie Monster began to sing, I was like, we have jumped the shark. There is absolutely like it's over. It, you know, the it there's there's no coming back. Stretch canceled, cookie monster. This <laughs> this is this is not happening, really. But then, you know, I saw how happy it made everybody. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I am such a cynical old coot to not like this. Jesse, I mean, I don't have any kids. I'm a 45-year-old, you know you know, kind of rock, rock and roll hippie dude. And uh, I was same. I'm with you, Sarah. I had a similar bad reaction to it at first. And I was totally incorrect. C is for cookies and for Cubs. <laughs> because now here's the thing. If the Cubs had lost, let's say nine to two, everybody hates Cookie Monster, right? And that would have been bad. Yeah, that would yeah. have been terrible for Cookie Monster. I mean, the thing where it was like, Let's get some cookies at the end. Let's I get some cookies. So hard. <laughs> so good. Yeah. That and was great. Also, the like, I don't care if me ever come back. Oh, that was wonderful. That was so good. I feel like this should actually. So, Cubs, I, I, I'm sure nobody from the Cubs listens to this podcast, but just in case you do, I think this should go into the rotation. You know, like yeah. the. Ron Santo, Harry Carey rotation that they do when they don't have a guest conductor. I nominate Cookie Monster to that level. Yeah, I wouldn't mind them putting Mr. T out there again. That was pretty good. (laughs) Mr. T's was pretty excellent. Uh, Ditka, I think people would like to see. I mean, but that's just for entertainment value. Cookie Monster did a great job. Although I don't think that's the original Cookie Monster's voice because I believe that was Frank Oz who is deceased. Right. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Yeah, they might no be. The original Cookie Monster was. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, like there's no way to possibly find out, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but new Cookie Monster, you were incredible. Yeah. You are welcome at Wrigley Field anytime. Um, let's talk about the players who are orchestrated this win. Uh, Jason Hayward is have he's in the middle of a really good stretch. Uh, keep an eye out for him in the Cincinnati series. He's actually the third hottest hitter on the Chicago Cubs right now by WRC plus um, he had three RBIs. Victor Caratini had a well-timed second home run of the season uh, to tie the game up or no, that was to take the lead, right? He hit the go ahead. home. Yeah. Run. He hit the, he Jay hit the big one. Caratini hit, hit the go ahead. And then it was Kimbrel time. And I just want to say we are so spoiled. 
as Cubs fans with the announcers that we have. Pat and Ron and Len and JD are so great at what they do. But I really appreciated uh, Pat Hughes because I was listening in the airport and he said he postponed the break. Basically, he was like, we're going to go to break a little bit late so that if you're listening at home, you can hear Wrigley Field react to Craig Kimbrell coming out for the first time. And I just almost lost it <laughs> in the yeah, turmoil. That, I was so excited. I, I, I was also listening to this game on the radio and it that was a really beautiful moment. And, you know, that's something that I think doesn't happen enough. And, you know, old Wrigley Field and, you know, some of the old timers that, you know, have been going for years can appreciate this. Old Wrigley Field without the video boards and all the sounds and the the ads and the lights constantly being bombarded by you, you know, it, that that's gone, right? And so the the thing that was beautiful, I think, about Cub fans is like, you know, they don't tell us when to clap. They don't tell us, you know, like, everybody clap your hands. Like, they never do any of that stuff. Yeah. But the fans themselves are so into the game and know what's happening with the team uh, that you you don't need to create false excitement. Uh, everybody was anticipating Kimbrel and for Pat Hughes to let us hear that as opposed to, like, you know, the closers brought to you by Benjamin Moore, exactly. you know, you know, and, and he just let us have that moment. And it's and it's moments that like that, that I miss from the old Wrigley, you know, where it's just quiet and it's just the fans and it's all fan generated. You know, that was one of those moments. And it was just I was it was it was beautiful. You're right. Like I did feel. I felt something I felt like. It's a mile south of where I was sitting when it was happening, and I felt it, you know, come yeah. through. You know, it's just beautiful. it was great. Um, Kimbrel got two outs relatively quickly, then got into a little bit of a jam, and then almost I don't know, it seemed like he kind of had um, he forgot where he was for a second. He didn't make it over to first to first base on a ball that was hit up the line that Rizzo saved, and Rizzo really saved Kimbrel here with a play that I, <laughs> as I was listening to it, I was like, did Rizzo just die? <laughs> Did Rizzo just like give one up for this like one save? But no, Rizzo Rizzo was apparently okay as he like penguin slid onto first base with a charging Freddie Freeman coming down the line. It, uh, I've so never crazy. seen I've never seen a baseball player look more like a penguin. You're absolutely right. That was <laughs> that was incredible. Um, you know, it, and plus, like it's the end of the game. The guy's played for nine innings. <laughs> like he's out there, his body's probably getting tired. You know, just you know. Luckily, he was guarding the line, and I don't know what Craig Kimbrell thought. I mean, these guys haven't played together. He maybe doesn't isn't clocking where the defense is positioned. Like Kimbrell might have thought that was just gonna be a double. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's where I mean, he hit that ball real hard, and luckily. You know, Rizzo was there. I guess I don't know what that spray chart was about. But he was playing behind the bag. He was positioned perfectly. Um, I don't know. So you'd think that would be second nature for Kimbrel to just go cover the bag, right? But I guess you need spring training for that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't well, understand. Exactly. And Rizzo said after the game that he was kind of running through his head, like, what if I need to do this? What if I need to do that? What if he doesn't cover the bag? And that was, you know, props to Rizzo. That is why he is a gold glove first baseman, and we are lucky to have Anthony Rizzo on the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, put this. A- oh, go put ahead. The, I was going to say, put the C on his chest. Yes, he's I, I want, the captain of this team. I want the C. Yeah, give it Absolutely. to us. Yeah. Um, we're going to take, 
We're going to take a really quick break for some notes from our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to look ahead to this series in Cincinnati and try to answer the question, can the Cubs ever beat the Reds? And we're back. Um, the Cubs are headed to Cincinnati. They have not been very great against the Reds this year, which, you know, of course not, because Cubs baseball in 2019. Uh, Danny, what are you looking for in this series? Oh, God, it's really frustrating not to be able to beat the Reds, but the Reds, I don't know, they're kind of a scary team. It feels like they're built to beat the Cubs in some weird way. I, we didn't do great against them last year. We got swept uh, maybe at least yeah. once last year by them. And, uh, you know, this is a team that I don't know. They're having a weird season, right? They got a plus 40 run differential which uh, Pythagoras says they should be 44 and 34. They're, they're, they're almost the opposite. Uh, they're 36 and 42, you know, and, for and people back home, like the Cubs would still be ahead of the Reds on their Pythag. I think the Cubs Pythag should be like 47 and 31 or something like that. I just looked at this, so I might be slightly off, but yeah, the, the Reds should be like the second or third place team in the division. Yeah, I did. Not. I did see a Cincinnati writer is his headline was, uh, Cubs face Reds in must-win series. So apparently we're at that point of the se the season in Cincinnati. But, hey, I mean, they are in last place. At, you know, they, they probably would love to see their season even out, at least to get, you know, make it interesting. Um, the Central, nobody's running away with it. So I feel if you're the Reds that you feel like you have a chance to sneak in and steal it, you know. And I mean, um, everybody in this division should feel like they have a chance. The, the Brewers, I was terrified looking at, like, the Cubs' last 10 games, basically, I don't I don't even remember when. Probably, the, like, basically all of June has had me terrified. The Brewers just have not taken advantage of a Cubs team that is playing 500 baseball. The Cardinals have not taken advantage of a Cubs team that is playing 500 baseball. I, why, the Cubs, why not the Reds? And the Cubs have not taken advantage of those teams that are playing losing baseball. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's like, that's just like my mother said on the, we took this road trip to go for a cousin's reunion. And uh, I was like, well, at least the brewers are losing. She's like, they're missing an opportunity to make hay. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a good point, mom. And uh, you know, the, you know, the, the reds, I mean, they've been a streaky ish team too. I mean, they just lost four straight to the Brewers and the Angels, but they had just won six straight with the Brewers and they swept Houston. So and Houston's, <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is going on with these? They, they play good teams. Well, yeah. and then, you know, I, I don't know. It, they're hard to figure out. You know, they made a, but their pitching is ridiculous this year. Um, it's been better than, than ours. You've got a team ERA lower than the Cubs. They got a bullpen ERA lower than the Cubs. You know, they, they don't give up home runs in a home run hitting ballpark. They're, you know, it's like they're sixth in strikeouts in the majors. Like this team is, is remember when Reds pitching was like a joke, a it straight was so wonderful. joke. It was wonderful. I know. It was and so we, much nicer. We'd like, like Cincinnati was a guaranteed win or like, I don't know, not guaranteed, nothing's guaranteed, but like, you know, it's 75%, 80% chance because sure. we're going to win that game. It is no longer 2016. 
Yeah, and I mean, and Luis Castillo has just been great, and we unfortunately have to face him again. Like, I, you know, they. I think part of the problem is they had a lot of great young pitching. It was all hurt for a while, right. and so they were just throwing anybody else up there. And now that those dudes are back, they're shoving, you know, and and it's it's you know, I think when they. The offense is good. We all know about Cub Killer A. Eugenio Suarez and what he does to us. And uh, you know, well, and, you know the how- guy, the guy who is out of his mind right now that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig is uh, over the last 14 days is slashing 364, 417, 886. Wow. The WRC plus of 224. And if you want a comparison there, the only player that is going to play in this series who has had a better last two weeks is Wilson Contreras, who has been literally out of his mind. Like, <laughs> Wilson, like Wilson's on one of his streaks where he does things and you're like, what the actual Wilson, for comparison's sake, is slashing 424, 472, 939. <laughs> wow. His ops at the moment is like over 1,500. Wow. No, 1,400, almost 1,500. Well, and and consistent, and it's been consistent. I mean, uh, he's he's got the best OPS on the team. Yeah. You know, by a lot, like by 60 points over Bryant right now. And, you know, Bryant's the guy that's, you know, you're just kind of like, dude, you're, you're, you're pretty average for a superstar. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like that's what I my take on it. But Contreras is really arriving on the scene. Uh, I mean, not only does he give you really great defense uh, and, you know, I know people are down on his pitch framing and stuff. But, you know, when you've got a guy, you know, 17 home runs and, uh, you know, at the all star break and a, a batting 300, so he's batting for and an OBP near 400. You're like. And that's a catcher, that's like catcher, right? Yeah, I mean, out of that position, you're not really expecting that kind of offensive production, and it's just it's it's a it's a special thing. And uh, I I love Wilson Contreras. I'm on you know all the way on Team Wilson, but you know don't get hurt in a stupid baseball fight. <laughs> yeah, I, I I am I am the team captain of Team Wilson. He's been my favorite for a long time. The other thing that I think people overlook about him sometimes, you know, the pitchers love him. The pitching staff has really had his back. The name that he wears on his Jersey for players weekend is Willie the beast. That was a nickname he was given by John Lester. And there was a really great interview with Lester and Schwarber last year after the Cubs lost the wild card game, where they talked about how much heart Wilson has and how much he pours himself in those games. He caught that entire game. He caught for 15 innings. He does that routinely. Like that's just, he doesn't come out of games. You know, he had a walk off the other day or last month in the 15th inning. He caught the whole thing. He was out oh. the next day. I, he's just, that's what he does. He, you know? caught the, he caught the whole game and hit a walk-off in the rain. Yes. It was raining the entire time. <laughs> that and was Wilson's not, great. Yeah. He, and, he has been, you know, he's been unbelievable this year. He is, in my opinion, the best catcher in the National League, although I know there are a couple other guys you could try to slot into that conversation, Grandal or maybe Real Muto. And he will be the starter for the all-star game for the second year in a row. And it is well-deserved. And I, I get so angry at the whole, like, well, framing, like framing is one component of a ver- of a game that contains a lot of different things. And I understand that it is important for catchers, but it is not that important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't give up the offense that Wilson provides for a, a slightly better pitch framing. Totally. You I know, I that. mean, if, if that was the trade, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Um, um, did, one did other you guy see- I want, 
Oh, I was I was just going to say really quick, one other guy to keep an eye on during the series, Cole Hamels has been ridiculous lately. He has an ERA of one in June, and he'll be starting tonight against Sonny Gray, so let's hope he can keep that up. Yeah, and he hasn't faced the Reds this year, which might be why we didn't beat them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, it, but yeah, he's been awesome. He, I mean, the is the, he had a sick June, just so good. I mean, you know, into the seventh, into the eighth once, you know, five five total runs in 26 innings and three yeah. of them were in it. Three of them were in his last start. So hopefully, hopefully that's not like a, a trend, but um, yeah, it's uh, it. Yeah. He's been on fire. I was so wrong. I said, when they gave him the 20 million, they picked up the option. I was like, Oh, come on. And, you know, I was like, Oh no, actually at first I was like, awesome. That's fine. And then I saw them do nothing else in the off season, except getting Daniel Descalso. And I blamed the Cole Hamels contract for it. So right. then I got mad at Cole Hamels, like, why did they spend 20 million him? Like, you know, just put Chatwood back out there or whatever. Like, Hamels is old. And then I've been so incorrect about this take, you know. I mean, at so. this point, I'd give Hamels another extension. If he keeps this up through September, I want to see what next year Hamels can do. Like, if he wants another year, I'd do that. I'd probably do too. Um, yeah, at some year. This some pitching staff is not where it is right now without him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's really the only one. Uh, well, he's is the only starter with an ERA under three. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Hendricks has been great, but Hendricks is hurt right now. Lester's been a little up and down. Q, Q and Darvish are not particularly reliable. We'll see what we've got with our, our new friend Adverb. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, Hamels has been worth every penny, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm happy I was wrong. I've never yeah, been happier. <laughs> yeah, we've only got a few minutes left here. Danny, is there anything else that you're looking for in this Red Series other than, please God, can the Cubs finally beat the Reds? Well, uh, Scooter Jeanette is back. So, uh, you know, that's kind of interesting. He's, was, he's been injured, you know, for a, a long time, and um, it's – it's not like he's, you know, particularly, you know, the greatest player against the Cubs, but you know, I just, I, I feel like that might make a difference. I think he's probably a spark to this team. It seems yeah. like he's kind of in the middle of things. I think, uh, you know, this Reds team, they're they're not pushovers like maybe they used to be, and uh, I think the Cubs just got to go in there and just, I don't think, I mean, it's how do you beat the Reds? You got to just bash home runs in a war of attrition at, yeah. at uh citizen or not. What's it called? Great American. Um, Great American yeah. Uh, yeah. You got it. You just got to go in there and you got to come out swinging. I mean, they, they really, they're really only facing um, one great pitcher in Luis Castillo. Unfortunately it's against Quintana. So maybe don't go to the game on Saturday. <laughs> go go on Sunday when it's like Lester versus Disclafani or Hamels versus Gray on Friday. You know, I think that those are your better chances. And don't do what I did this week and go to the go to the loser game. <laughs> go to the good one. Plan that. Plan it better than I did. You know, but yeah, um, I'm yeah. always I'm always trying to plan those things out, and I'm rarely successful. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't usually play how it does on paper. But when I really looked at how. Like what? I go to a freaking Darvish start instead of well, Darvish versus Chatwood. Yeah, I could see that being okay. But the Cubs, uh, finally, uh, I'm you know they seem to find a way to win when Tyler Chatwood starts baseball games somehow. And you know, 
you know, that just might be a fluky thing probably is, but uh, you know, they, Chatwood, if you look over his game logs from last year, the, the, um, the, how, for how terribly he pitched, the amount of games the Cubs actually won that he pitched in is remarkable. Yeah, that felt a little bit like a game of Russian roulette. I'm not going to lie. Um, I went to a bunch of those games. And I was like, how is this still working? I'm not entirely sure. Danny, thank you so much for joining Cup of Cubby Blue today. Uh, y'all can find Danny on Twitter at, at Sunranto. He also hosts the Sunranto Show and uh, NBC Sports Outside the Ivy, which is the post-post game Cub show. If you haven't checked that out already. It's incredible. You, you can find it on Facebook and you can find it on NBC after every Cubs game on NBC, which is which is great. Um, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you, too, Sarah. This has been fun. I, I love I love your show and I'm uh, excited that I got to be on it. Yay. All right. Uh, Andy will be back next week. She'll finally be back from Florida and fun in the sun. Uh, we will be looking back at this Cincinnati Reds series and looking ahead to a series with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll see what's in store for the Cubs then. Until then, everybody have a great one, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.